Self-worth is the unlock. Welcome to the Self-Care Savage Podcast. I'm Scott. I've traveled full-time as a nomad for the last five years in my truck, living minimally, hiking, exploring as part of my therapy to heal my mind, body, and soul, becoming a self-care savage, and creating a platform through social media to hold myself accountable and show my progress through and how I live it. This podcast, we will push deeper into my history with all the gory details to all the amazing moments rediscovered as I've healed and forgiven myself and cleared the path to forgive others. Welcome to the first episode. In this episode, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to talk about my family history and origin, a lot of the traumas and abuses that I went through as I was growing up and how I brought those into my adult life and lived for decades that way until the point I had given up on myself, found hiking in the outdoors and started on this self-care savage uh, path that I'm on today. Hey, everybody, we did have some technical difficulties with the mic the first couple of episodes. So just bear with us and we'll all get through it. I hope you enjoy it. Let's just go. Hi, I'm Scott. Um, and I have, uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit right now about uh, my, my, where I come from. Um, my childhood a little bit and, and kind of give you some, some background. So I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I'm a Texas boy. I've been here all my life. I'm 62 now. Um, I, um, as soon as I hit the the ground, um, in this world, um, I was in a pretty chaotic environment. Uh, I was, um, my father was an alcoholic. Um, he was, pretty abusive alcoholic and I was a lot of his target me and my mom I also had a sister she she escaped a lot of the physical stuff um and but of course she was part of the the rest of the environment and observed a lot of uh of things anyways they, the, the, my dad was my monster uh for a long time from age zero to seven eight eight is when my mom ended up leaving him uh, which was probably a good thing. I always say, and I, and I don't say it in a strong way, but I do want people to kind of understand what's still in my mind and, and, and what I get from it is, is if my mom had not have left him there, you know, my dad was, was, could have, I mean, there, there's a, a chance that I, you know, um, 50, 50, that I wouldn't be here. Um, so it's, it's a, I'm grateful for the, my mom moving forward with that. Um, but my mom was also very challenging. Uh, she was not, she was not a great mother. She didn't know how to engage much. And, but between their marriage and what was observed was again, it was just, there was a lot of violence and a lot of abusive behavior, but, uh, there was things that, that happened that were, I think, those things that are um, are events that really have an impact on you. So there was a time, I think I was probably four or five. I don't remember a lot of it other than pieces, but my mom was void for a while. 
And after getting older, learning about things, going back, my mom, my dad had put my mom in a mental hospital in Dallas. And it was, uh, and I have some of the paperwork from it and some of it I couldn't get, but um, he had, he, back in the 60s, so I'm 62, born in 1960, you're, a, a man could put his wife, he could, he could get her committed. Uh, uh, you know, those things were still happening back then. You didn't, there wasn't a lot of formality around it. And anyways, so uh, she was in there for nine months and her, uh, the reason he put her in there and what the paperwork says is because she wasn't acting right. And, um, and her uh, diagnosis then was a heartbreak. So that was an actual uh, psychological diagnosis back then. So, but trailing back just as I get history and, and I'll try to keep moving this thing forward, but my dad was a player. He was a gambler, again, alcoholic. Uh, he, he ran around on my mom uh, just all the time. So I can understand what, what the, what her, and my mom was a very tough woman. She was from West Texas. She grew up. In, in, uh, in Pecos, uh, she was, uh, you know, that was a, that's a tough area, a lot of cowboys, a lot of old stuff back then and all that back in the 50s and things like that when she was in high school. Anyways, so I can see my mom and I can imagine my mom fighting back and, and not acting right. I can see uh, that, that, that piece. So this is hopefully setting up just a little bit about my mom's personality. So anyway, she was gone for nine months, and uh, that was um, not something I remember a lot about. But um, I remember at that time we had a my dad got a, a, a maid who I think was kind of a nanny thing too. I, I can't really remember a lot of it, but um, so anyways, that was a lot of what was going on um, uh, with my parents. And just to tell you real quick, my my, my dad was. You know, he came from a chaotic environment, did a lot of research on that. And and uh, certainly his his upbringing was very poor, which is what helped me reconcile a lot and helped get me into a place of forgiving him and and going forward with that. But he was uh, he left home at 15, went into the Navy because he was in a very that was a very, you know, the Depression era kind of stuff and all that. And they were poor, you know, again, Texas people. And, um, and, you know, they were, he was hungry and, you know, just this, his life too. So he, he left home, lied about his age, joined the Navy and, uh, was in there till he was 19. He was, uh, on a battleship. They got shipwrecked. He was one of those gunners and, um, but they were shipwrecked. And again, this is a young kid. So these are the things that I, I've learned about him. But anyways, he came out at 19, went to work as a lineman for a construction company. And, you know, they built the, the power lines, the old pole, wooden poles and all that. And um, he ended up years later, uh, you know, say 35, 40 years later, he ended up owning the company. So, you know, that you can't, that's a hard thing to do now, uh, especially in this world, to start with a company and then grow and, and, and own it. And and so th there was a lot of, of, of his his esteem was tied into being successful because he was a poor West Texas boy. He just wanted to prove, um, you know, that he could. He had an eighth grade education, all that stuff. So he had a chip on his shoulder, and, and he, a lot of that, and he carried it. 
So I realized my dad didn't have a chance. And I realized he just wasn't strong enough to overcome things. And um, so I understand why he was the way he was, where he came from, went into the Navy, was shipwrecked as a young kid, got out, got into a construction world where all men are men and they're doing all those things they did back then. And he started drinking and, you know, he just didn't have a chance. And um, so that was just a little bit about him, um, what led up to that. But my mom ended up leaving him uh, again, that seven or eight. And then she went back to school pretty quickly thereafter to become a therapist which um, I think was spurned a lot because of her being, you know, in a, in a mental hospital. And, um, and again, she was, she was a little dynamo. She was five foot one and she was a, a beauty queen. You know, she was Miss Pecos and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she, she was, you know, uh, anyways, but she had her challenges too. She, you know, that, that they came from my, my parents didn't have much of a chance either. Anyways, so she became, I watched my mom from age seven, eight, go get her bachelor's, her master's, and her doctorate, all leading through the 70s mostly, and watched her open her practice in the house. And, and, but my mom had her own struggles. Her struggles, just like my dad's, were women. A lot of ways, my mom's were men. And she wanted to fix everybody. And she wanted to fix all these mom, men. My mom was married eight times. My dad was number two. Um, my dad was married. It's still debatable. I've done the research on my mom. I could document all that. My dad is still sketchy, but the rumors are from all a couple of family members that are still alive. He was married somewhere in the range of eight to 12 times. He was at one time, um, uh, got in trouble because he was married to two women at the same time. And he, I guess, got out of that because again, you know, small, Small towns, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, moving forward, my mom was not ethical, real ethical with her practice. And what I mean by that is she helped a lot of people. She was amazing. That was definitely a calling of hers and all that, but she couldn't get over her own struggles. Again, men. And then also all of these people that I, my teen years especially, that were always around our house were her clients. They became her friends. So they they were folded into our lives, which is completely inappropriate. And uh, as far as professionally. Now, a lot of them were great people, uh, but a lot of them were challenged because they were, you know, that was what she was working with them on. And they, they were not good examples. And anyways, there was just a lot of that going on. There was a lot of amazing things that happened. I'm so grateful that I, I was exposed to. But there's a lot of things I shouldn't have been exposed to. But I've reconciled all that. I, I, my mom has been the only constant in my life. She uh, has Alzheimer's now. She's in a memory care unit, has been for four years. Um, and my dad died 20 years ago. So now I, that's just a little bit about those formative years. Um Again, my mom went through those marriages. I struggled a lot. I had one of the stepfathers hit me across the the um, chest with a metal chair, broke a couple of ribs. You know, there's just all kinds of stuff like that. But he was a heroin addict. <laughs> there's all kinds of stories that travel into how he got into our lives. But 
Uh, a lot of these people were good people. They just were a mess. And so, unfortunately, as a kid, I was caught in all of that. And there was nobody protecting me and nobody, you know, do that. So I learned how to survive from age zero. As soon as I started picking up on, on, on that, I built a, I always tell people I built a huge repertoire of survival skills. There came a time where I had a lot of, I thought I had some superpowers and I could melt into a wall and disappear when the monsters came in the room or things like that. So this is a lot of where I'm at and I'm just surviving. And I, and I, and I'm, my self-esteem, my self-worth is just been annihilated from an early age. My mom tried to, uh, again, she wasn't trying to, to help me in sense because I kept all this inside of me and was just trying to get through. And I tried, I wanted to be perfect. I didn't want anybody looking at me. I used a lot of humor and things to fade things. Just all of these things that I learned how to do to stay off the radar, especially if I needed to. And I could leave a party or leave a gathering or whatever and usually slip out and not be detected for quite a while. So those are, you learn how to do those things and that's your relationships and you're very wary and you're paranoid and you're, you're, you're non-trusting. You don't trust yourself. Uh, I was so angry. I was a fire starter a lot. Um, I, 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 you know, I had a lot of just stuff built in and, and, um, and it came out in very inappropriate ways from age, whatever, zero ish to uh let's say i was 18. so back then in the 70s when you're 18 you're you're a man you're you're it was different than now you know you were that the world looked at you as a man you could vote back then you could drink back then at 18 all these well you could still vote today but all these things um you know um were looked at differently so i became that's when i became an adult so that's my kind of my gauge Moving on, this is just what I've learned and, and, and part of such a big part of my message, um, because I know, I know where it comes from. Most anything that's going on with anybody is going to trace and lead back to, to, to when they were a child. It, those, are, those are when those impacts really affect you. So uh, that's, again, so much a big part of my message is dealing with, with these, these traumatic things and things like that. But anyways. So again, these survival skills in this way of living my life um, don't translate into adulthood. Some of them do. Again, having some of these skills, being able to to sniff people out that are you know that can be of danger is is you really do gain a, a sense to you know. Uh, I always tell. Um, uh, I always say to give the best example is I wish the, the FBI and the police and all these things, if they want to sniff out a perpetrator in a room of a hundred people, they want to know who the two or three perpetrators in that room are very quickly is take somebody that was abused and traumatized and, and went through all those things that, that, that tapped into those survival skills to get through and, 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 and to live, to save their life a lot of times. There, you put them in the room for very quickly and you'll get a good sense. You know, they're, they're going to be on all the time, but those are people that are going to be able to pick the purpose out very quickly. But again, that's just an example. Uh, so 
that's how, again, all my relationships, um, everything was, was dealt with, with that survival mentality. And it doesn't work. It doesn't translate into doing business correctly. It doesn't um, translate into any kind of relationship, intimate, uh, friends, uh, anything. You, you're, you, you're, it, it doesn't work ever uh, in most cases. If you do not heal, forgive, understand a lot of those things and, and understand when they're happening. So I live this way. Through two marriages, you know, I've got um, um, first marriage again. I was young. I, I, you know, sometimes people don't count those. And 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 again, I'm 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 one of those people that you know that it's it happened, but I have a daughter from it, so it's it's not a throwaway. But it's it was I was young, and, and most of the time you're not going to do well when you get married at 20. Um, you know, neither one of you are grown. When I got out of high school, I my job what I went and sought out was the, um, all right, I got into being a bartender. So I, I, and I was good. Um, um, and I was, I, again, so much, um, of, of instant feedback and, and, uh, from people and, and talking to people and it can be so surface and, you you know, I could stay here and it could just be in that environment. People are, are you know using that, including myself, to to escape you know their worlds, and so um, I went to work. At, uh, I was nineteen, and I moved from this hotel that I, that I started at uh, in a showroom in Dallas, Texas. It was one of the first showrooms where we had bands and things come in weekly and all that. And anyways, but I was the, the Urban Cowboy Days came. This was back in 80, maybe, whatever. So everything, all of the excitement was around the fast bars, the fast country and western bars. So I went to work in one of those, um, and it was just, and that's when a lot of, of I never uh, became an addict around substances except for food and sugar, but um, I abused anything and everything there was and enjoyed most every minute of it. Um and but so my first wife was a hostess or a door girl and she was um she was probably the most she was the most beautiful girl in the world at that time and most people thought that because she was she was uh, she was amazingly beautiful so those were that my pursuit of her, um, I, you know, I became an escape for her, but my pursuit of her was because of that. It was all, I didn't know her. It was all based upon looks and all that, but that's, that's again, part of, of how, how I looked at things. And, and again, it just, it grew kind of quickly. She wanted to get out of the house, all these things that are kind of, you know, uh, inappropriate. Uh, I'm sorry, banging the table, um, inappropriate and, don't lead to anything. Uh, anyways, you know, she, uh, our marriage wasn't, it was just, I, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but it was just kind of flat. Nothing was there. There was no movement forward. She ended up getting pregnant. Um, 
and she ended up getting involved with someone else because I traveled a lot with work. I was working. I went back to work for this hotel management company. And so they, they, we opened up hotels for investors. So I went to different towns and and uh, did all that. So anyways, my daughter, uh, uh, her mom and I separated when we were, in, she was nine months old. So we shortly there divorced after, and um, that was that was pretty much it. It was a there was nothing. Um, yeah, there was nothing really that I was touched much, other than she was the way she was, and I definitely was the way I was, and there was just no way we were going to ever move forward. It was uh, uh, whatever it was for each of us. So I, there's not a lot of substance there, um, but my daughter did come out of it, and. Uh, so again, move move forward from that point, um, and um, again, that triggered me. I think kind of like my mom. Again, very different though. But then I wanted to. I had always been interested in the field of psychology because I grew up in. You know, when you watch your mom do that, if you live it in your house, I had way too much information. I should have had, and most of the time, I just armed myself and manipulated that that information I had to also uh, move forward. So um, I went back to school. Um, then I started working at a treatment center for adolescents. And it was a short time after that I got it on the administrative end. I didn't really want to be a therapist anymore. What I, 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 got, I was, again, hooked on the, the, uh, the process. So it was shortly thereafter, a couple, of, two, three years, I ended up being the administrator of the Adolescent Residential Treatment Center. So I did that for years, uh, 11, 12 years. And um, um, I was I was really good at that. And a lot of that's shooting from the hip. And as a survival, you learn how to shoot from the hip. You, you're not much of a planner. You're not much of a whatever. You just put fires out all the time. And so that you get a lot of satisfaction from, from, from putting that fire out, just like escaping the monster or whatever you you just, you know, you just learn how to operate that way. So that's one of the positives, though. Anybody that can shoot from the hip can work in a chaotic environment. If you're a planner and you can learn how to put things in play to prevent a lot of those fires, um, you, you know, and, and I have, a, I have you know, I have some sons that uh, I've acquired a lot of that because I've, I've been very transparent in my life. And I tell them they actually have superpowers. Uh, if the Lord had to use them correctly, they'll be, you know, and 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 they they uh, they're pretty good. So, getting off of that. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's one hundred percent online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over thirty thousand licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. 
With BetterHelp, you can get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SelfCareSavage. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot slash SelfCareSavage. Anyways, um, that's where I ended up meeting my second wife. And that was, she was a social worker. And there's some backstory behind that. I'll talk about that at a different time. when Maybe we zero in on some things or we want to break down some of these periods in my life. I have st- all kinds of stories around them and some of the ways that happened. Uh, I, I'm very transparent. But there's so much I still haven't talked about. There's so many things I still haven't revealed. But I'll reveal this one. So my my second wife, it was a client of my mom's. So she was coming out of out of a divorce and as young. And at this time, you have to remember my. uh, First divorce ended up we were married five or so years, so I was twenty five. Um, because my daughter was born in, uh, I was 24 when she was born. So that's about the right time frame. So it wasn't till, uh, four or five years later that I met uh, my second wife and I met her by going to, by my mom's office and, uh, to see her or we were going to have lunch or whatever we we're going to do. So my second wife was sitting in the, um, the, uh, the waiting room. Because uh, she was a client of my mom's, we didn't talk or anything. Um, but when my mom came out, my mom introduced us, and then my mom. This is what was my mom, and this is where her inappropriate behavior would come in. She she thought it would be a good idea for we had some similarities in our lives that we, you know, uh, visit a little bit outside of 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 that and. Um, so we did. And, um, because she <laughs> had her own stuff. And again, you know, I had learned that that was how my mom operated and, uh, wasn't thinking about that at the time, but I learned that it, that was kind of okay was to meld that inappropriate, uh, way of doing things into your life. So that's, again, part of the things that are very negative. Um, anyway, so that's how we met. We fumbled through uh, a year and a half or so. Um, we then moved forward, moved in together, did all that. Another year or two later, got married. And then uh, somewhere around there after that, we started, you know, having, I had my sons. You know, they're two and a half years apart. and. One of the things that I was very aware of in my life is even though it was, I wanted to be a different kind of father than my father was. I didn't want my kids to feel what I felt. It's horrible. I wanted my kids to, to be built up. I wanted my kids to these things. So, so I was a, a pretty good father on that end. Again, still exhibiting a lot of inappropriate ways of living and doing things in the world. Um, that they certainly kids, you know, don't think your kids don't see everything. They see everything. 
and um, that's good. So, uh, anyways, that's th that world with with her was um, it was it was not a good mix. We 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 tried to push through it. The boy, you know, when you have kids, you do all these things, but it, nothing was working. I was a mess. I was not getting better. I I was like I'm 185 right now. At one point, I was 260 pounds. Um, I was a glutton. I was a I was a uh, I was ch chasing the whole Jones thing, and I didn't want to just beat the Joneses. I wanted to beat the hell out of the Joneses. I just my I was just angry, and competitive, and I was that dumbass in the room. I always talk I talk about this a little bit that wouldn't shut up until you shut up. And if we were debating or we were talking about something, I didn't care if everybody in the room knew. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was not going to, I was going to be louder, blah, blah, blah. So I'm living this way of bullying through things. At the same time, I have no self-worth, zero self-worth. I keep building things and getting, almost hitting these pinnacles, things like that. But when, when, when I start sniffing something great happened, meeting a goal, I chopped my legs out from underneath me. Um, it was just, uh, you know, self-sabotage to the highest point. Um, and just trying to stretch that rubber band, seeing how much before it broke. And it always broke. I never, I never, I never, uh, went down that road of testing, um, uh, until it was, you know, I broke it. So again, this is how I'm living life. So we'll try to fast forward this a little bit. Um, not going to all the gory details. Again, we could segment some of these these dumbass things that happen at some point. But so moving forward, I'm living my life this way. You know, we have an understanding, I think, where, where I came from and then how I'm still living my life and my thought process. And just uh, I'm a mess one way or another. I, I love helping people. And I'm really good at giving people advice. And lots of people, people sought me out for that. Because that that's that part of me. I also learned from my mom's influence of putting everybody first. And I talk about this all the time. This gets in that self-care savage stuff. This is tied into that. Even though I was the way I was, I always put everybody first. I stopped, when I got my second marriage especially, I stopped doing anything for myself. Anything that was even resembling getting close to maybe doing things for myself. I, I didn't play golf anymore. I stopped, I stopped doing anything. I threw everything into my kids. My whole identity was into my kids. Everybody was first uh, to where it affected the relationship with my daughter from my first marriage. Because I always, you know, when you're in a, in a divorced marriage, you know, there's 50 families involved now. So now there's 50 holidays and this, that, and the other with all these things, especially when she got married. And things like that. So I was always that, oh, honey, don't worry about me, even though my birthday's on Christmas. Things like that. I was always, oh, we can work it out the next Saturday or the Saturday after that. Or don't worry about me. Go see everybody else. And, you know, and always, you know, again, uh, then plans could get canceled. I would try to remake the plans. I would try to, to, to do all these things to make it and then just let it be okay that it didn't. So um, this that leads into some stuff later that that I changed. But 
I am here. We are. I'm 50 years old now. My, my, my. I, I've been divorced now for about 12 years, and uh, to my second wife, we divorced when my boys were 13 and 15. They came with me because I was so involved in their lives. They had the, a bigger connection with me, and they were a little contentious with their mom. That is not a criticism of their mom. Uh, that's they've worked all that out. That's just how it was. That's why they came with me. Um, and we can get into some of those reasons why too later on. But so now I've got these two boys. You know, now I'm out here trying to survive again. That's my whole identity. I mean, my my is my kids. So now I've got to go harder on it. So now I'm I'm just more engaged in everything with them, and we'll just push that a little bit. They get into high school, all those things go on, and then my oldest son gets to a place where he's, you know, he's starting to get ready to to move on in his life, and and so he moves out, and so my youngest son's not far behind him, you know, a couple of years. Um, so now I'm like, what? What am I going to do? Now, now I'm I'm fifty. Fifty. Um, now I'm getting into, you know, a couple of years, a few years after that, and I'm just, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally, I, I'm starting to feel a little panicked because everything is so tied into that, and now I don't know where to go, or I'm, I don't know where to think I should go, and on top of that, nothing is happening right, anyways, because I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm just a freaking idiot trying to navigate a world in nothing but idiot ways, not doing anything to help myself with it, uh, giving in to everything. So I was done. I was exhausted. I got just, I'm, I'm done. I'm done living this life. I, 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 now, when I say done, I always disclaim to this. I was not looking for a mountain to climb up and jump off of. And I was done going forward. And I look back now and I was just, and, and it's something that I really had to work through. Uh, some shame on that with my boys and stuff. But when that happened, I told my boys that. I said, guys, I'm done. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm tired of chasing anything. I'm tired of trying to, to uh, I, nothing works. I can't make anything work. Poor me, you know, still still living. You got to remember through this, and I haven't mentioned that a lot. I'm living a life of a victim. Everything is my dad's fault. Everything is my mom's fault. Everything is anybody's fault but mine. And when you're an adult, that's not it too. That's part of the self-care savage stuff that I had to wake up to. But anyway, so I was driving around one day, came to a lake. I'm going to shorten this up best I can. Came to a lake, parked. Um, again, uh, it was a weekend because uh, I, I wasn't working then. I was And I was working a job then. And I um, was, again, just in this poor me mode. Just, just, vict just victiming all over myself um, while I'm driving. Pulling this, 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 and I'm at this lake, and I'm again uh, just kind of just, 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 just chaotic in my head. 
I, I, I'm, as I'm doing this, I look over, and this is the first time that I something. I, again, I didn't have. I wasn't touched. This is not a story about being. I don't feel like I was, but something did transform and change me. And I saw a trailhead. I didn't know it was there, but I saw this sign, and you could see all the squiggles on it. You know, you know, uh, when you go to a trailhead, and it kind of shows you, you know, there was four or five different branches that went off on around this lake. And it's like, cool. I'm going I'm gonna let's go see what's up. So I uh, started walking on this trail. And I didn't have my phone. Some of these things I don't remember why, but I didn't have my phone or I had it and I just wasn't paying attention. I didn't turn it on. Anyways, you know, uh I just, you know, you're that's one of the biggest distractions in our lives is our phone. So um I just started walking and I started walking. And I started feeling uh, there was no more noise. I couldn't hear the road noise anymore. I couldn't hear uh, uh, anything except for the water, the trees, the, the, the breeze blowing, the leaves, my feet. This is all is that I'm, I'm hearing. So all that noise that has kept me in avoidance for all these years and keeps us all in avoidance that we live in every day is keeping, it keeps it, keeps it right here. And, but what it does is it keep, keep it right here. It's, it, it keeps trying to push its way out and it pushes its way out when you don't like the way somebody talks to you or your, your, your relationship with this person um, you know, you, you think they're doing this or you don't like what they're doing or you're doing whatever to avoid, all, this, all it does is ooze out on everybody else. When you're a victim, you don't deal with things, and, and, and you think you're rolled into this, this life with somebody else, whether it be a business partner or friend or whatever it is you've acquired, you're going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up. You, you just no way you can avoid it if you are in victim mentality because it spews on. It's, it's whether it's inappropriate, whether it's passive aggressive, whether whatever it is, you're just just spewing it on the world. So, um, anyways, walk in. Now I'm hearing these things. Now here they come. This is the first time I started recognizing these things as demons. That because they were coming hard, and I could hear them, and they were in there. And it was all those messages I got from my dad. I thought my, when, I, when I was growing up <laughs> with my dad, either I thought, <laughs> if people don't believe me, but I can remember this. I remember being little at times, and I thought my name was, was he used to call me Scotty. Um, but I thought my other name, when he was drunk and, abusive and all that, I thought my other name, and I answered to it basically, was Titty Baby. So I don't know if you're old enough to know the connotation to what that means, but that means you're still, you're a mama's boy, or you're still, you know, you know, you get it. Um, so <laughs> those are all things going through my head, you know, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm right where I should be. I shouldn't have anything. I shouldn't Nobody should care about me. Uh, just, just all those things. That's when I started realizing 
and I was hearing him so loud, I started hear like like I made that reference that you know, Titty Baby being called that, because that's one of the things that came in my mind. And I started realizing, wait a second. That's that was my dad. I th- it started just a little bit connecting where those things were coming from. I was starting to to listen and accept, okay, this these voices have been telling me all this crap that I've been avoiding all these years with my stupid ass survival behavior and and then my on top of that all of the 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 uh ways to lie and manipulate and do things that, that just always come back and bite you in the ass and never all those things. It was just and I, and so anyways I started understanding a little bit about what was going on. I did not stop. As painful as those voices were, as painful as that was, it was the first time. Look, if, if I, just like the monster, if I know where, where it's coming from or when it's coming in or what it's about, I, could, I, I, I was able to deal with it. You know, and that was, you, you get good at having good instincts and intuition. So I was started, those were started to be turned on on again understanding what was going on with me and so i had a choice then i i i I, hours had gone by and when i say hours it's probably was between three and five all i know is i I walked it got dark i had was not paying attention and i knew i needed to turn around i did get back i mean nothing happened but i was (laughs) i was in the middle of this this trail system and didn't know what, what the heck was going on that's how entranced I got in this. And again, I don't feel the this touch thing. Um, you know, like I like, you know, God swooped down or whatever anybody wants to call whatever they got going on with them. But I did. I don't. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that part out. These are things that I'm still working on. Um, so that that's trying to understand to nutshell this with all the little trails I usually go off on. We could be here for hours. Trying to get us from here to to here. That's that's overall what happened. And then after that, I just again, like I said, never stopped. It just became I had I knew what I had to do. That's why the it, the outdoors and hiking saved my life. I always say that saved my life because I understand that's where I could go and I could heal my mind, body, and my soul. And that's why I've immersed myself in it. That's why I live in it. That's why I preach this. That's why, um, you know, I, I'm never telling anybody what to do. I am so big on leadership and, 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 and leading by example. Um, and I, I just, the post I put up today um, on Instagram, the, the friendly reminder was, you know, I mean, if you read the caption about it, it's basically, you know, stop listening to people that are talking. You don't listen to people until they show you. They have nothing to say until they show you. We have all these leaders, this whole world's way it is. Anyways, back, Scott. Um, so it's so important to me. And so I have to go, I had to go hard on myself. This is people, sometimes people have a little bit of, of a problem with the savage in, in there. But if you look up savage in the dictionary, it talks about being fierce, you know, fiercely protective of something or or being ferocious in how you deal with things. That's how I have to come at me. I don't need pats on the back, and I don't need somebody to, to, to pacify me. 
I need bats upside my head. And that's where these friendly reminders came from. I need that, that this is all for me. None of this was started to let's build this platform. This was to hold me accountable. Yeah, anybody can trace back and go look through my stuff. I used to put pictures up and memes. And it was just for me. It was just what I was reading. It was what I was learning. It was what I, it was important to me at that moment. I just wanted to put it up and and because I just felt strongly about it. And it was for me. And it just, it became this, this a way for therapy for me, accountability to talk about it, to, to, to put it out there. So it was out of my head. It just became all these things until I found this. So I keep a lot more things to myself that maybe I shouldn't put out. Again, we all, we all need a little bit of that. But journaling, again, these are all things we can get into later on down the line about the, the self-care savages, the different techniques I use and different things. Cognitive, Paul changed my life through the stages of this. There's all these little moments after what I just told you of finding that first trail. There's all these little things that happen along the way of my growth through this that made those those leaps, you know, that that that, you know, a book I read uh, or or whatever were, the, were these little moments. We can get into all those, you know, again, I know I'm rambling again, but um, that's where, where, where all of this is stemming from. And the last thing I say around people, I try to get people to understand. Um, therapists and I are a little contentious sometimes. Unfortunately for them, um, I have a lot of information and I grew up in that house and I worked in that environment and I have a lot of information around it. Look, I'm man. Look, when you, you're an administrator of a treatment center and you're dealing with therapists, psychiatrists, uh, mental health techs, you're, you're dealing with 50 people, a horse program, all of these therapeutic things, and you manage all that, you you uh, learn that therapists and things like that are just people. They're just people. And most of your people that are servants to, to others are injured people. And they are far from perfect. And when you look for therapists, you find therapists, and you you need their. I, I I'm a proponent of therapy. You gotta have it. I'm not a proponent of therapists doing what doctors do a lot, and that is keep you in the system, keep it coming. Where's the treatment plan that says I'm going to turn you into a self care savage badass? So when I'm not around on Christmas morning and you have a tragedy in your life, you can deal with it. You don't need to call me. You don't need to wait for our next session. You don't need to crawl up in a ball and be a, be a baby and a victim. They don't do that. It, or a lot of them don't do that. Cognitive behavioral therapy, that's why I love that process. There's a lot of that. Let's let's deal with this now. If we've got to jump back here for a minute, figure out where it comes from, work it over, understand all that, and jump back here. And realize that's what's causing that problem. And that's what's causing the problems in your life at the moment with this relationship. Now you know. Now you you know it's not. It's done and over with. It's over. It's where it came from. Now you can go forward. And now you can deal with it. Now you can journal about it. Now you can do all those things to help you go forward. And that is my message: is I want people. You've got to take care of yourself first. It's where the whole. Um, um, you can't pour from an empty cup. You, you, if you're not taking care of yourself, and as a parent, and and if you and I become 
you know, faster friends and, 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 and I see you half-assing it with your kids, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not going to say anything, uh, but am I, or if you ask me or whatever, it just depends. But my point being is people, parents, especially that's who pushes back a lot of my messages. Well, I can't do that. I can't put myself first. I can't, my kids are first. I have to do that. You know what? If you're not taking care of your own self-care, your own mental health, your own getting better every day, you are only giving your kids half-ass treatment. You're only get. you're not even being the best you can be for them. So sh just shut up and go do something for yourself. Stop telling them that they shouldn't drink or smoke as they're growing up or do whatever. Well, that's all you do on the weekends with all your country club friends or whatever. I'm not coming down on any particular group. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. But I, I, I watched my kids. I, my kids grew up in McKinney, Texas, and it's a it's a, a suburb of the Dallas area. It's it's in Collin County and Frisco and Plano. It's where all there's a lot of that that goes on there. And that's another story we can get into around my kids, but. Um, I, I just, it did just, I just don't, I, we, as we don't do what we say we're going to do. We expect all these people, including our loved ones, our kids, these most valuable pieces that we bring into this world. We still operate so much on do as I say and not as I do. And it, doesn't work. It's proven over and over and over and over again. Thank you for listening. And I hope my podcast has helped you in some way taking the path to becoming a self-care savage. Make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 